Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode, a super episode, one would say, of Teeing It Up with CNV. I'm your host, Connor, as always, with another episode with my co-host to discuss the latest news and action in the sports world. Vladdy, what's going on, man? As opposed to the sports news, which we'll get to, personal news, that's what we start with. What's up? Uh, not much. Drop my death. I was telling you beforehand, drop my car off at the dealership this morning, hoping that a couple of recalls would fix kind of my door issue. Uh, turns out they are not included in that and they wanted six six $600 to fix it. So when I go pick it up tomorrow, I'm going to tell them no and figure out a different solution that is not $600. Outside of that, though, not much. Um, Monday, what are you going to do? I got to work from home today, which is kind of cool. So effectively, I get a nice little short four day work week, but nothing out of the ordinary what about yourself yeah not much not much new in my life either um uh yeah school's chugging along work's chugging along got out of town this weekend um that's always nice to kind of break up the the dungeons and dragons part i guess of school uh and just leave I, I don't know. I wanted to say that I couldn't think of a word, so I went with Dungeons and Dragons, apparently. That's what I was going with. Um, <laughs> I was just watching a Dungeons and Dragons clip. That's why I think it's in my head. Um, but yeah, sh- moral of short story, I'm good. I'm ready to talk about the action. Yep. Um, so let's get into the Super Bowl. I think that's – we'll cut to the chase. That's the most important topic on this show. Um, Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, he's inevitable, Vladdy. Yep. 25 um, 22, the final. Chiefs win in overtime, just the second overtime uh, Super Bowl game in general. Um, and what kind of ended up being, I'll call it a classic after what was probably three and a half hours of snooze ball. So I'll actually get to that. I actually didn't think it was that bad. I just think it was something um, that. But people where do you want to start? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was that bad. Uh, I think it was just. People weren't used to people weren't expecting what they saw. I think it was actually still good football. But before we do that, I do want to just say one thing about the kind of the event itself, not about the specific game. I kind of strongly dislike and borderline even hate what the Super Bowl has turned into, where it used to be about the coronation of the season. It's kind of doing all that and kind of ending your season with the event. And I think it's turned more into a social thing. I was I was looking at some of the stuff. I mean. You have private boxes going for $2 million. They had a live DJ. I don't know if you saw this during the commercials cascade so that the fans were entertained during a TV timeout. Halftime shows, post-game shows, pre-game shows. I just think that we've kind of lost cabin pressure. Um, I think it's it, it's become the corporate thing. The regular fan has been completely priced out and... I just kind of turned into old man yelling at clouds where I don't enjoy what the Super Bowl kind of is kind of like signified these days yeah i I mean i i understand that i I, and i agree it's definitely and i think being in vegas this year maybe accelerated that a little bit but i'm not sure if the super bowl was ever for the working man like ever really in our lifetime i think it's always been kind of a corporate event for uh people you know that they've always kind of priced out people with the prices for that game. It's just the nature of having one game, one championship game in one stadium. Um, but yeah, I do agree with at a certain point when you see like, like I, I was just listening to a story about them, like talking about ru- running into Russell Wilson and like 
running. I, I saw a clip of like Odell Beckham and uh, Kim Kardashian. Like when you see all these old like players that are like in the league and didn't make it there, and they're just there as a social kind of a social event to be like part of a who's who type thing. Uh, yeah, I think you're you're right right on in that it's crossed the boundaries of you know being a coronation of the uh, season uh, for the players. I would like to exclude Jason Kelsey from that list of people I named because he, uh, as always, was electric. I'm not sure if you saw the video of him. So it's funny because it's like uh, like Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey's like crew after the game and like their nice like going out stuff, and then it was like Jason Kelsey traveling behind by himself in a macho man mask and like a Chiefs like overalls. And there's another video I saw of Travis and Taylor Swift just like, for lack of a better term, just making out. And then the camera pans over and it's it's Jason Kelsey on a stage with Marshmallow just going nuts. And it's it's he's electric. I he win he gets an A plus for this Super Bowl for me. But we can get into the actual game now. I'll say one last thing about Kelsey. I didn't see any of that. I did see a picture of him dressed up as Zach Galifianakis playing Allen in the Hangover. He had he had the shirt. He had the the satchel. He had everything. So I, I did see that. And yeah, it seems like he had a good time. I'm sure, he's a little disappointed that his team wasn't playing in it. But yeah, he made the most of it to get to the actual game. How do we want to go about this? Do we want to talk about storylines or maybe just go through the ebbs and flows of the game, start with the first half, move into the second, talk about overtime, and then start picking apart certain things afterwards? Yeah, I'll just get into the game. I mean, for me, the first half uh, can, qu- can kind of go pretty quickly. I, it was the first half of football. I, I know you mentioned not expecting it, but uh, it just – I mean, it was only 10-3, so that, that's had a lot to do with it. But it was a punt fest, so to speak. Uh, the Chiefs came out and couldn't move the ball. It was boring. It looked like we were on our way to a, I think, of the 20, um, 2018 Super Bowl, the 10-7 Rams-Patriots game. That's what it was looking like early on for me. Uh, and then, obviously, that changed moving into the second half. Yeah. Um, speaking about the first half, I'll actually, again, I-, I thought it was okay. I'll actually give credit to the San Francisco defense everyone's out there oh well the Chiefs couldn't do anything there's a reason why that's because that defense actually did what they were supposed to do Chase Young remembered who he yeah. was actually actually decided to tackle a quarterback Nick Bosa was phenomenal the entire game constantly putting pressure kind of containing Mahomes there was I think one maybe two where he kind of lost it and slipped on the field and kind of Mahomes took off the defense played great I mean, the Chiefs defense, we've kind of talked about how they carried for large portions of the season and even through the playoffs. I mean, you hold the Ravens to 10 points. You, you do a pretty damn good job against the 49ers. You factor in some overtime some overtime scoring. Chiefs defense was phenomenal. You had, you had some crazy plays. You had fumbles from Christian McCaffrey. Why couldn't he have done that for, for 15 days ago now? Why do you have to do it against those guys but not against us? You have Isaiah Pacheco going down the field. Like, I don't think it was necessarily bad football. It's just they couldn't finish drives. You had two fumbles. I think both I think the first McCaffrey yeah. fumble was at the Chiefs 25, and then the Pacheco one was at the four. So right. we understand. I mean, and then we'll talk about what Travis Kelsey did to his coach afterwards. <laughs> but 
I think there was action. I just think that the, the defense has played very well, and I'll give them credit for that. Um, I think going back to San Fran's defense, I think the very big difference, let's say, between the first half of the Detroit game and the first half of the, the Chiefs game was intensity. And there wasn't guys jogging after Jameer Gibbs or guys jogging after Isaiah Pacheco. There was guys meeting at Isaiah Pacheco in the backfield. He could do nothing in the first half. And you want to talk about intensity, Dre Greenlaw tears his Achilles because he's so <laughs> amped up to get onto the field. First of all, I've never seen that. That was insane. Very sad. And I would also even go as far as to say that was one of the direct factors that kind of got them killed because towards the end, I think once they realized, wait a minute, they're playing with a backup, they started picking on that guy in coverage. And, and Kelsey just that's – when, that's when Kelsey woke up in that second half. The first half, I think he was one reception for one yard. Mm-hmm. He was a ghost. Yeah. Um, uh, so, speaking of Greenlaw, could they have found him in any like a smaller cart to carry off the poor guy on his Achilles? It was so small he didn't even fit in it. He had to sit in the front seat. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, that yeah that was um, that that was crazy. It, it it looked like one of those little uh, one of those uh, not even I wouldn't even say, you don't want to call it a smart car because that that'd be disrespectful of smart cars. It was like it was like a go kart. Yeah, he had one seat. You have the you have the guy with the little kind of hat, and he's got his buddy in the kind of the, the basket on the other side. That's what it, it was. It was awful. Um, <laughs> I mean, the last thing I want to say before we kind of maybe move into the second half when the offense has kind of opened up was I've never actually seen Patrick Mahomes look that uncomfortable in the pocket. We all know what his improvisational skills are, and I'm talking specifically the first half. We all know how good he is moving the pocket around with his feet, taking off, extending the plane, and we keep calling it the backyard football where Kelsey somehow finds a way to get open. He could do none of that in the first half. The the 49ers were sensational. And then, I mean, this goes into the second half. That interception he threw, I think that was a direct, like kind of a a direct like reason from that is he was – uncomfortable he, he didn't really know what he was doing and he just threw one of the worst throws i've ever seen where it wasn't even close to his receiver. no not even close that, yeah as, as my, i might actually will go as far as say that is the worst pass i've ever seen patrick holmes throw given the circumstances given the situation you're so used to him stepping up finding some crazy sidearm to whoever it might be or something massively down the field and he just couldn't do it so kudos there i mean to get into the second half I don't know what the 49ers did um, on the offensive side. That third quarter was pathetic. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like McCaffrey had a Hall of Fame or some massive showing in the first half, but he was effective at least. And in the second half, or at least the third quarter specifically, they didn't touch the ball. It was insane. They completely gave up on what they do. That's a Kyle Shanahan specialty. I'll lay into him later because we talk about storylines. I don't think there's a bigger storyline coming out of this than Kyle Shanahan. I mean, the freak muck punt. I mean, what are your thoughts? I just kind of going into that second half. Um. I guess the first thing that pops in my mind and kind of where it gets, I guess I'll get us down the road of like kind of where the game gets going really is the Moody uh, missed extra kick. Uh, and if you're a 49ers fan, you're waking up and you're just thinking about that. Although I ha- I heard an interesting thought today that was like, Patrick Mahomes has almost earned the respect enough to be, to like say, well, 
he would have gotten a touchdown if he needed four. Like if it was a four point game instead of three there, like he would have just gotten four or he would have gotten that touchdown. Like he deserves that kind of respect. And that's maybe so. Um, But I I mean, be hard to, maybe I'm just being hard on Moody, but uh, if I'm a 49, what? I personally think you are. Um, I think the kick, both kickers were very good. Uh, I don't know if you saw the graphic that popped up. In Super Bowl history, there had only been seven 50-plus yard field goals. Yeah, ever right. made. They had three Just of them. Three. They had it's three like Moody set the record in the first half, and then Bucker broke his record by like two yards, like a quarter later. Yep. So. Yeah, so – yeah, I, I think that is a little uh, I think that is a little harsh. And you mentioned kind of the Mahomes thing. That's absolutely correct. I mean, they were at the six yard line with ten seconds to go and they realized, wait a minute, we've got one shot at this. That's it. So this notion that that's the reason they lost, I don't like that. Um we all kind of knew what would happen when the Chiefs get the ball back, though, with those kind of last two minutes. It didn't. I don't. Even, I, I don't even want to talk about the oh, prevent defense prevents you from winning, just because it's inevitable. You're right. It's, he's going to go down the field. He'll do whatever he needs to do. And I think it, part of it at this point has turned into a. It. I think it's a mental aspect of when you're playing against him. I used to say this all the time about Tom Brady, where. You go in there and like he's like a voodoo doctor where you would almost beat yourself at times with just some very stupid mistakes. And I think Mahomes has kind of done the same thing where he's he's there's so much just kind of prestige and pedigree there that when teams go up against him, they sit there, they shit their pants. It's like, oh my God, we have to be perfect. And when you sit there and put yourself on that high of a pedestal and think that you have to be that good to beat him, you freeze, you start making mistakes you start having weird bounces go against you again. That muffed punt, that's – what? how does that happen? The ball yeah. lands the dude's ankle. This little four-by-four four circle of a human being ankle is the only place where that ball could have landed for it to have been a muffed punt, and it happened. Like, how – what is that? That's that's Tom Brady voodoo match. It's, it's, it's just outrageous at what it is at this point. Um, and then I think, again – Kyle Shanahan, on top of being the the greatest choker in the history of the sport, I think part of that was due to the fact that it was Mahomes. And it was like, uh-oh, I have to outdo this guy as opposed to you just playing your game. We mentioned yeah. how they were the better team, and I think if they would have stayed with what they wanted to do, I think they would have been able to tough it out and win the game. But they lost their mind, as they always do, when when you're playing against that guy. Which is so crazy that he did, or they did in general, kind of lose their mind because – you know, the only touchdown in that first half was that crazy took three hours to develop trick play. Yeah. And you're like, okay, Shanahan's in his bag. He's comfortable doing the uncomfortable, calling a play like that in, in the Super Bowl. Uh, and to kind of just, as the game went on, lose that mojo, I guess shouldn't be surprising because now it's essentially his third time doing that. You know, two times as a head coach now and once as an uh, offensive coordinator for the Falcons. That's right, folks. If you didn't know, he was the offensive coordinator that blew a twenty-eight to three lead. Yep. And yeah. he also blew a ten-point fourth quarter lead. And I guess this one was never really more than a touchdown. No, was it ten points. Ten nothing. Yeah, he has. There are in in NFL history there are three times I think where a team has blown a ten-plus point lead in the Super Bowl, and he was directly involved in all of them, as you just mentioned. Um, yeah. Going to overtime, um, 
I think this is where like this is where it fully kind of and it got worse the more this morning when kind of news started coming out they didn't even know what the rules were on what so that's planet? not what I've I, that's not what I've heard it, that Shanahan knew the rules and that he had he had gone with an analytics team and determined that this is what they were going to do no but the players didn't know and that's on the coach well it sounded like some of the like McCole Harmon didn't even know the game was over when he caught the ball well he blacked out that's not be, I don't think that was a that I, I think for him it was more of just a kind of euphoric moment. No, the, the you had 49ers players come out this morning saying we didn't know the rules. We learned about the new rules looking at the scoreboard during the coin toss. That is pathetic from Kyle Shanahan. I I don't I don't I don't believe that. So why are you coming out and saying it then? I I don't I don't believe who's who like are there actual like real reports saying that? Because I I'll be honest I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, here I'll give me one second to pull it up. It was it was from Ad, it was from Schefter this morning. Multiple 49ers coming out saying they didn't know the rules. Okay, then my second argument is like, why does it? Unless I think it was Fred Warner who took the 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 coin toss. Does it does that really matter that much? Well, I'm about to get into that. On I think what? it's more his incompetence than him not telling his players. But that's part of the incompetence. How can you be a coach and you don't know if your players know the rules or not? And then when we're getting to it, on what planet? I don't care. We 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 harped about all the bullshit analytics with Dan Campbell two weeks ago. On what planet there is not a single argument that is pro receiving the ball? And I know. So I here's know, the argument he had. Did you did you did you hear his argument? Yeah. Oh well, I wanted to get the first possession in case there was a third possession. That's fucking bullshit. There was never yeah. going to be a third possession because the Chiefs get uh, to go for two because they know what they need to do, which is exactly what I want to get into. There is not a single argument you could ever have that is pro receiving the ball in a game where you are guaranteed to get it back because everything changes. If you if you have third and five at your thirty after you just received a kickoff, you've got one play to get it, and if you don't, you have to punt it away. On the flip side, if you have third and five and you're down three or down seven in the playoffs, you have two plays to do it, so you can run if you want. You know what you need to do. There is, I don't, and I know they, I know Tony Romo. The one time he actually said something cool, which is, oh well, the defense might be gassed. Get him a damn oxygen tank then. Or just give up the seven points to Mahomes because you're going to do it anyway. And you go take the ball afterwards. That is outrageous. You always have to know. They gave him an extra down. And he didn't even need it, which is hilarious considering he was sitting at a third and eight. And he never got to fourth down. But they gave it to him. Yeah, I I don't, I don't necessarily feel as – I think I feel as – I agree with you. I don't necessarily – I see arguments going first, but I don't agree with it overall. Uh, so I'll just say I less passionately I have the same opinion as you, uh, especially given how the game went down. Patrick Mahomes just went down and scored on you. Uh, like it's Patrick Mahomes too. The way they they came back, all the momentum was kind of on their side at that point, and you're just gonna. I don't know. Like you said, give them the chance to win it. And you do know that Andy Reid was going for two if that game came on yep. the line. They were not yep. going to let that game go to a sudden death. Um, the other funny thing about the new overtime rules is why the hell do they even have a clock? 
Honestly, I I actually agree with that um completely. And when you bring when you kind of talk about this, I did want to mention something else. I'd written down in my notes back to Kyle Shanahan being a fucking moron. When it's fourth and four, and you have three timeouts, but there is no second end of second quarter, there's no clock management because you you're only in a two possession game. Why are you not lining up with your offense and trying to get them to jump? What's the worst that can happen? You you use one of the three timeouts that you're never gonna use again. After that, why the fuck on first and goal are you not taking a timeout to see what the Chiefs come out in? Yep. The, the 49ers were not even set on that play where they got beat. They were not even set. So that I just think Kyle Shanahan, the, the I, I think the narratives will be massive. And I'll get into maybe I'll kind of tie this in once we get to some of the other storylines where I think this is great for the for the Lions. Because I think there's going to be so much doubt around Kyle Shanahan from his own players. Kind of what happened with Nick Sirianni and the Eagles where the players just gave up and said, well, this coach is a fucking moron. I think there's going to be some people saying, I what it, like I understand you have to get to the Super Bowl in order to blow it. But if this guy has been responsible for all three great collapses in Super Bowl history and his players don't know the rules and he doesn't know when to take a timeout, how do you believe in that again? I actually kind of disagree with you. I, I I agree. Like on the biggest stage, the incompetence has been shown, but he is. I don't really think this. Like this casts some doubt. You still got to the Super Bowl. Yeah, like I acknowledge he's still that. the best offensive coach in the league. You still have Trent Williams. You still have Christian McCaffrey. You still have like. Is there really going to be any doubt in George Kittle's mind the next time he lines up to block for Kyle Shanahan after six years of just winning football games because he had one bad, I guess we'll say two choke job appearances in the Super Bowl? I don't, I don't necessarily buy into that. Uh, I don't know. It's I, I have a hard time buying into the Kyle Shanahan's a fraud story because I genuinely do think he's still one of the best offensive minds in the history of the I'm game. not saying he I'm not saying he shouldn't be. I'm just saying there's there's coordinators and there's coaches. Right. If if you always lose your fucking mind, what are you? He but, he is he is not prepared to go toe to toe with the best. Andy Reid, his coach circles around him twice. I mean, I'm yeah. not even going to say Bill Belichick coach circles around him in the in the Atlanta game because he just stopped trying. He just he just stopped calling the offense. He had 28 points in in two and a half quarters. And they just stopped. Yeah, but there's also t- to me is like you got to he maybe yeah maybe he's not that class. But you, you, the two names you used are two of like the five greatest coaches of all time. Absolutely, four greatest coaches of all time. Yeah, that like I'd rather still go to war with someone that has won and gotten to the Super Bowl than ninety percent of the coaches in this league that have failed to even get to a playoff game or a Super Bowl. Would you rather have Dan Campbell or Kyle Shanahan on, as your head coach going into next year? That is an incredibly good question. Um, tough question. Tough question. But no, it, 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 I, I love it. Um, I don't want to sit here and let recency bias take over. I think I think both of those guys in their own minds are, are deficient in game management. 
And so can I say neither at the expense of I can find someone better a la Andy Reid? And I understand. I'm not sitting here calling them bad coaches. I'm not. But I think both of those guys lack the ability to manage a game. Can I can I have some other fun stats for you? In the three Super Bowls that we just talked about, guess what the score of the second half and overtime has been for Kyle Shanahan? Like combined all three games? Yeah. yeah. Uh, 49 to 17. Oh, you're generous. Um, his teams have put up 29 points and his teams have given up 74. In oh, the wow. second half and overtime number. of Super Bowl games, he he just lo- he loses it. He's he loses it. Maybe he should hire a better defensive coordinator. Well, he does hire some good ones. They just all get poached and they get third round comp picks because they're they're all coaches of color. Um, <laughs> but no, I I do think maybe this is a bull take, and I'm not saying that this necessarily means there's going to be change. But from all of those play, and I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I would want to go back and kind of go after the players as well because Debo Samuel had drops, three catches on eleven targets is pathetic. George Kittle was conditioning, two catches for four yards. Oh, but George Kittle can block. He did a lot of blocking. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, if you want to block, go and. Oh, uh, I don't know about that. I, I think, I don't know. I think that's. He a he dislocated his shoulder. B he's a blocking first tight end, and if he's not running routes, then how could you say he like that's that goes back to Shanahan then? I mean, okay, perfect. But if Shanahan hasn't blocking, how can we call it a conditioning game when his I mean, objective? I, I, well, so I, I wouldn't necessarily call George Kittle a blocking first tight end. I just would call him the best blocking tight end in football, and I think there is kind of a difference. Um, yeah, I. I also go back to uh, Jawan Jennings was going to be the Super Bowl MVP had they won that game. Um, that's not good. No, no disrespect, but you got to find a way to get the ball to your best players. Um, Brandon Ayuk had a couple catches. It was cute, I guess. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah I mean, th- th- I just think that that was that that kind of that loss from the 49ers was awful um from every way possible and like i said i think that this is could possibly be to the lions gain because i i i'll say it again i think there will be questions asked of him if it's not from the players maybe it's from john lynch how many more times can john lynch give him the best roster in football and he goes uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I think it's kind of, it's kind of like the no I won't use that argument because that doesn't really make sense. I go I just go back to like I think Sirianni is a fair example, but like and it's like Mike McCarthy in in Dallas right now. Like who else are you going to go get though? I'm not saying I'm not saying they have to fire them. I'm saying you if the seed is there, you can watch them implode. I'm not saying mm. that these I'm not saying that they have to blow it up. Although that team is going to get expensive quickly, and Trent Williams can't keep coming back forever. He's not a young man. We know that. So what's going to happen to that team? I don't know, and that sort of thing. I think the Lions are in a great spot with how that game played out and what happened there. I think the Lions are in a great spot to be able to say, 
we are the favorites to win the NFC next year. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the Eagles will get It's going to be us in San Francisco again. Um, I don't know. There's, I'm, all, I'm always going to be forgetting a name, I think, going into next season that I'm just yeah, I not mean, going to Yeah, there's teams so. around there that the Packers are there, the Cowboys are still there. You mentioned the Eagles are still there. I think those are probably your big five teams in the NFC alongside us and the 49ers. I just believe that the way that game was lost – I, I, you, there has to be questions. Like you can't, you can't make it a habit. You can't do it three times. You can't do it with three different teams or three different rosters. Sure, we'll say two. I, I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna give him also give him the benefit of the doubt on when it, he was a coordinator. And he called the plays, and they stopped, and they stopped trying. Right, but like you're gonna, you're gonna put a Super Bowl loss on an offensive coordinator out of all that, like. I think he played his part for sure, but like again, it falls on a. It falls on the head coach, sure, Mr. Dan Quinn. But B, I think like defense also had to give up thirty four yes, points. They had in to the give the points, yeah. sure. All right then, yeah. maybe maybe we maybe we revisit give him a half discussion. point for that. Half give point, him a half, half point. point. He's all right. He's he's blown up two and a half times in Super Bowls. That's that's one and a half times more than I than that should be acceptable, but. Yeah. Like I said, maybe we revisit this a year from now when we're celebrating and we're sitting here saying, thank God they didn't change him because thank God there was something wrong with him. I just, the other thing we talk about McCaffrey, how many more times can McCaffrey come back healthy and how many more times can he take 400 touches in a season and keep getting that punishment and yeah. still be the McCaffrey that we know? There's a I cliff. Agree. There's a cliff. He'll find it eventually. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't have to be next year, but he'll find it. Yeah. So all the time, then always wins. Yeah. So I I I think that I, besides the game, besides the Shanahan things, I I think that was awesome for the Lions. Um, maybe going back to a couple of more of the storylines. I know we met. I was. I said we were going to come back to the Kelsey thing. Uh, what were your thoughts on him, kind of pushing his coach? Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's so crazy that that's like, it's. It, it, I think it's so funny the narrative on what it was today because if they didn't win that game, if he didn't have ninety yards in the second half, the, it would have been a completely different narrative. And obviously, Andy Reid kind of did a good job, like putting some water over the flame, I guess. But uh, I don't know. It, it, it's immature it's just like why it was so just out of pocket i know it's not because he likes to he kind of had does have a prima donna ish temper i won't call him a prima donna but uh a prima donna ish temper and we've seen it you know time and time again i guess i also think it's like whatever i'm also like I'm fine with it solely from the point of that he was able to if he sat on the bench and just pouted for the rest of the game and got one reception for one yard, I would probably have be saying something else as well than him going off for 90 yards, having a big second half and them coming back and winning. So, yeah, I, I think that is a good point. You mentioned kind of the narratives of what happens when you win and what happens when you lose, when you win, you can sweep everything under the brick and say, Oh, it was just in the heat of the moment. The one thing I'll say is I think it's one thing to scream and voice your displeasure. I don't think, I think it's a complete other thing to put your hands on the coach. I, I think that was right. From 
doesn't matter what he did in the second half. I think that was unacceptable. But like you say, if you win the game, who cares? Water under the bridge will be back for the three-peat. And I guess they will. Um, it's crazy to me that they can have all that happen. They can have Rasheed Rice yelling at Mahomes at the end of the game. And then the this guy just finds a way to win it all. And I think that's the last storyline we should talk about is just Patrick Mahomes yep. and just where he's at on the uh, acclimation to – or ascension, wrong word, A word, to being not the best football player of all time. He's going to be in that conversation with the Michael Jordans, the LeBrons, the Tom Brady's, the Tiger Woods. You're going to be putting Patrick Mahomes in that conversation. Six years as a quarterback in this league, every other year, well, on average, he's won a Super Bowl. Troy Aikman, talk to me when he's won 10% of the – or 33% of my Super Bowls or whatever. It took him six years, buddy. He could retire today and he'd already be better than you. He could take your Fox job or sorry, your Monday night football job and probably do it better than you too. He is great. He's this, he's going to go down as probably the greatest quarterback ever. In my opinion, I think he's going to get six. He's going to get seven. He's going to get eight, not nine, not 10. I'm kidding. I, but uh, 28 years old. Uh, he's got another decade of this. He's on pace to beat Brady's record at this point. Obviously a lot can change in 10 years, but he's special. This team is special. Him and Big Red, Andy Reid, are special too. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll say you you mentioned kind of where he is in the ascension. I think at this point he is he is the only other person in the room with Tom Brady. I think he's past Montana. Um, I think he's Montana past had Denver. four. Yeah, I but I I mean I I'm about to say I'm comfortable with saying Patrick Holmes is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen right now. I know he doesn't have the stats yet, and we mentioned the longevity needing to do it for 10 more years, probably winning two more to kind of be able to have the numbers to prove it. But the level that he plays the position at is higher than anyone else I've ever seen. Um, With that, there are a couple entertaining questions I figured I would kind of ask and see maybe where we go with it. Um, If you had to... I'm, try, I'm trying to formulate one because I had it in my head and then I started talking and I lost it. So this is this is rather unfortunate because I'm about to sit here and brain fart. But if you if he ended with let's say five, mm-hmm. where are your thoughts? Like, I mean, on him versus Brady? Because obviously, if he's got five, he's he's automatically number two at worst. But where wh- where do you go from there? Uh, I I need him to be at six personally for okay. me to actually open the door. The other I, one that yeah, the other one that I, I have know. heard and I guess I'd ask your question is: Are you of the opinion that he has to win one with another team? Because I know what a lot of people mm. like saying that. Okay. No, nah. I agree with you there. I I think that's kind of just a cop out to try and protect your nostalgia for of Tom Brady for people. Who say oh, that like a totally like like how Brady won one with the Bucks. What yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like a different like. Like these teams, these he's had the 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 Kelsey oh, the Creed Humphrey. Board? No, I'm like, saying. I was saying I'm what? I'm saying that there are people who believe that for him to be the best uh, of or for him to be better than Brady, he has to win one with a different franchise. No, I no. I don't think he does. I think that's a stupid cop out to try and create more barriers for him to kind of beat their childhood hero. 
So I I would kind of I I, I would operate under the idea that that just getting to I I, I at this point, I could comfortably say he's the greatest of all time just from what I've seen, the way he plays it. But I understand you need the stats and you need the longevity. The one, I guess the other thing that I was going to ask is Tom Brady had, I think it was what, an eight year gap between Super Bowls three and four? Yeah. Yeah. But, he went back to back and then he, they didn't win one until Seattle, which was 13 or 14. Oh, I believe. oh 13. Okay. Yeah. So eight ish years. Yeah. Maybe so, even more. I, obviously, kind of the answer right now is going to be no, but like, do you foresee some kind of gap like that for Mahomes, or you just think that it'll be a next man up thing? There was so much I think that's wrong so with him this year. Yeah, I, I, I noticed it's just like, I, I think it's crazy that this team, which everyone spent all year bashing and everyone spent all, spent all year kind of creating boundaries for them of, oh, well, they don't have a wide receiver one. And then Rasheed Rice shows up and he looks maybe he's not Jalen Waddle levels of wide receiver one, and I understand I'm picking a guy who's not even the wide receiver one because Tyreek's there. Maybe he's not a top ten receiver in football, but Rasheed Rice has earned the trust of Mahomes, and he will absolutely be their wide receiver one. And if he's not, that's even scarier because that means they found somebody better. So, is your point by that that you think they're just ready to lock and reload though? Um, I I would need to see what their free agent some um, kind of thing is. Like, I know Chris Jones is. Like due you don't think there's going to be a gap? I I mean I think it depends on what happens with the team. Um, I mean Chris Jones is a free agent. Legereus needs a free agent. I think those are kind of the two main pieces yeah. that you don't really know if they're coming back. But after like after that, like you've got Mahomes, you've got Mahomes, you have Kelsey, you have Andy Reid. That trio right itself. I mean. Steve Spagnolo, only coordinator ever to have four Super Bowls, I think was the statistic that came out. Yep. He'll assumably be back. So yep. why can't they do it again? We Yeah, we I don't I don't think it'll be a problem of reloading this year. It's my point is is like say he wins one like three years from now and he's 31 and I would assume Kelsey is probably done by then. Yep. And Andy Reid will be 68, 69 years old at that point. Uh, and But Mahomes will be 31 and still be ready for, you know, six more years plus of football. Yes. Say he plays till he's 38. Uh, yeah, I think there could very easily be a gap in there before he gets good again and maybe gets one at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think it's – like, I don't know. It, it, right now it's hard to see because I still think – they're going to be fine for the foreseeable future. Okay. Yeah. I think I probably agree with that. Uh, there is kind of just the natural, the way NFL is designed, you can't always be good forever. And if you are, fuck you even more. Um, but yeah, you're right. There probably will be kind of a leveling off period where the old guard goes out and then he has to be the guy who brings in the new guard. But I don't know. It's just crazy what, what he's done. And, yeah, I, I kind of briefly said it. We need Joe Burrow back healthy because he's the only guy who can beat him. That is the interesting thing, though, is like you, you keep that. Maybe I doubt that is like the AFC is strong. There's a lot of good young quarterbacks, but like there's been a lot of good young quarterbacks, and Mahomes seem, seemingly beats them all except for Burrow one time. Yeah, uh, I think the other thing with Fine, Burrow, sorry. and we were kind of talking a little bit about the aura and the pedigree and the prestige. 
I actually think some of what Burrow did with LSU might actually factor factor into his greatness of like he is that guy who led the greatest offense that we've ever seen in college football. And I think that he kind of has that swagger and arrogance and he's able to go into these matchups with Mahomes and kind of understand I belong here. I I can compete right. with this guy, whereas other guys are like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, he's better than me. I have to be perfect. Burrow's okay with I, making a mistake. I think that's super accurate. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, but that's a that's a that's a nice little Super Bowl wrap. I don't have anything else to mention. You know, I know you kind of said the Mahomes thing was the last story. Anything else you want to talk about the Super Bowl before we kind of t- take it maybe a little more locally? No, I, I think I'm good on the Super Bowl. I think I'm good on the NFL season in general. Yeah. Um, and we'll be back next year for it. Well, yeah, I, I think the, the last thing I want to say about the NFL is I feel like it might be a good idea maybe next week we do maybe a Detroit Lions season recap, maybe a little bit more in-depth, talk about the players that made strides, certain things that we'd want to see going forward. So I think that'll be kind of a nice segue, and then maybe we can do some some other stuff for the rest of the teams in the league as we kind of get into the dog days. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But taking it local, Michigan State basketball, another head-scratching, infuriating week. I'll let you go. Yes. Yeah, this is a week, a, a, a tale as old as time with this team in not making sense at all. You go down and lose to a very average Minnesota team, um, didn't shoot the ball well, didn't do anything well. We're up for a lot of the first half, too, and just seemingly couldn't get it done in the second half infuriating to see a young freshman like uh i can't i don't know his first name but max christie's brother went off for shot the lights off we couldn't we didn't have an answer for it uh and then saturday to see you know hogard tyson walker and malik call all score 20 plus points what i don't know if you got to watch that game saturday that game was exciting even if we were lost that that was a fun Eight, both teams in the 80s, back and forth the whole game. They had a decent lead. We had a decent lead. They had a decent lead. And then right when I thought we were kind of going to go on one of our late second half, we we can't find anyone that could score. We go on a 12-0 run to end the game. I mean, it was the best performance of the season for that team, I would say, besides maybe the Baylor game. I think that Illinois team is probably better than Baylor. Um especially with Terrence Shannon back in the lineup for, I, I don't know what his legal issue is now, as far as if he can play the rest of the season or not. Uh, but h- having him in there makes a huge difference for them. Um, but I still don't like, you saw the Minnesota game and you, you're like, well, now we're going to go to Penn. We're going to go to a horrible Penn state team. And Malik Hall and Hogart are going to combine for 10 points after going combining for 45 on Saturday. So, it's just it's a nice win this team is good at the breslin i'd like to see them be good at other places yeah um i i mean this team is jekyll and hyde um they actually showed heart against that illinois team that's the one thing that maybe they were they completely been lacking i loved seeing izzo going after jade nakins and rightfully so that 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 getting that tech was so stupid after the three it's like yeah to get back there and play some defense. Um, seeing Izzo restraining uh, or getting restrained by his own players, that's vintage Izzo. We've been talking about how the old Izzo's gone, and I've been big to harp on him. Maybe they can use this as a catalyst to kind of save the season because I think that Illinois game did save the season. 
You mentioned it la- the last couple of weeks. You cannot be a sub 500 in this Big Ten and expect to be in the tournament. You just cannot because yeah. this is one of the worst, if not the worst, Big Tens we've ever seen in terms of just minimal top-end talent and minimal depth. Um, that win is huge. That's a nice – That's I think that's our third quad one win. I think I think this – Three and eight. Three and eight, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, they don't really have – other than Purdue, I don't think there's any other options or – I say options. I don't think there's any other chances to get a quad one win. No. Not until the Big Ten tournament, at least. Northwestern but, might be a quad one okay. win. They're they're probably pretty close. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think I think the team saved their tournament hopes and their season even. Just find a way to channel whatever energy you had from yeah. the fans, from Izzo, from your their own play, and move forward. You know, do something, and don't don't don't. As much as I have harped on this team, don't be the guys that end the streak. No one wants to do that. Yeah, uh, and it, it, you mentioned the heart, and it was nice to see. And what was essentially, maybe now, and we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but that was a borderline must-win season-on-the-line game against Illinois on Saturday. Uh, I believe the graphic they showed before the game had them as first four out, and I think they went to last four in with that win. So it's it's every every game is a must-win from this point. I Can think I? you really you really get maxed. Two more losses, the last rest of the way. Uh, I really only see they really only should be even two losable games in the rest of their schedule. I think they close out February with Penn State, Michigan again, Ohio State, and Iowa, who, besides maybe an inconsistent Iowa team, are all awful this year. Yep. Uh, and then in March, they'll play Purdue and Northwestern, who are two of the better teams in the Big Ten. Um, and then a struggling Indiana team. So. Can I just say one thing that's kind of crazy? Well, with kind of you mentioned the projections, I saw the fact that they were kind of listed in first four out, but then I opened up, and I think that was Jerry Palm. I opened up Lenardi. Lenardi had us as an eight seed, and I yeah, think he Lenard, got out of his mind. Lenardi's had us at like I've seen it like yeah, I have not seen Lenardi have us at worse than a nine all season, and I'm like I like I I don't know about that. Like I don't know how much. I don't know the schedule. The strength of schedule is the thirteenth hardest in the country. So when you look at that, obviously that helps. But a three and eight quad one win record, that's awesome. uh, Win loss record is is not good. Um, and it, it, like you said, we there's only one, maybe two more chances to change that. Uh, the the record away from home is terrible. I think they're two and eight on the road. Two and no, not that many. Two and six on the road. Yeah. Um. So and that and that's going like. What, what would that be? I think 13 and 13 and three at the Breslin, something like that. That's um, so I don't know there. I think that, I think that whatever the CBS had, the Ken Palm one is probably right. In my opinion, I think they're probably a last four in right now at this yep. point. I would agree. Um, You know what I think maybe greatly helping us. I think I saw Indiana state is ranked. Yeah, they're they're one of those quad one wins. So. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah, good good for us. Good for Indiana State keeping us in the tournament. Shout out Larry Bird's alma mater. But I don't really have too much more about Michigan State right now. I'm sure we'll have another head scratching one in one week to talk about next week because that's just how this team is. Hopefully we don't. But any last words on MSU? No, it's just like you look to see the shooting uh, be more consistent going forward. I know I say that every week, but. Uh, we've played a couple of games where 
the last couple of weeks where the winner first one to get to like 60, it seems like wins the game to go win an 88-80 game was hopefully huge for the offense moving forward. Yep. Um, last thing I kind of wanted to mention was the waste management open. Um, I think it sounded like we have maybe some disagreeing viewpoints here. So should be, should make for a fun kind of entertaining time. I don't even want to talk about the actual golf, which is kind of sad because that was so much fun to watch on Sundays, like a second screen to the Super Bowl. Nick Taylor, I think it was three birdies in his last four holes, and then kind of birdieing both of the playoff holes. Super entertaining, but I I gotta talk about the fans because I think they're kind of hitting, or maybe they just hit a tipping point. And I understand that the waste management's the People's Open, the Rowdy Tournament. We all know what the 16th hole is and how everyone wants to, like, praise it. And I'm not saying they should kind of take things away, but I think they hit that maybe, not necessarily point of no return, but I think they hit that, like, hey, we need to pull the fire alarm because I think the organizers have allowed a bunch of things to go on over the years to kind of build up the aura and the mystique of, oh, this is, this is the fun. This is where people can be humans. And I think there's a difference between being, being a fan and being human and doing some of the things that they did this past weekend. And I don't even think I'm saying this from a shooter McGavin slash Zach Johnson. Oh, this is the gentleman's silver spoon game of golf. I don't know how many of the stories you saw, but it was outrageous what was going on. Yeah, I know they had to cut them off on, I think it was Saturday. Yep. They, yeah, they, uh, I, I saw the kid do the uh, uh, snow angels in the bunker. <laughs> yeah, that's that's insane. And that wasn't the only one. There was another guy who was kind of running through the rough with a pouring beer over his head. There was the one fat guy sliding down the mud hill. Um, one of the I, other things, I don't know if you saw those. Um, no, I didn't see those. Yeah, no, there's... Um, there was a couple times where I, I saw stories that people with tickets were getting turned away from the 16th hole because it was too crowded, which means that you had people sneaking in without tickets for that to happen. So first of all, if I'm a ticket holder and they're telling me I can't come in, how does that work? I would be yeah. mega upset. You have you had people screaming in back swings, and it's not it wasn't just the golf hardos. Like I know I mentioned Zach Johnson earlier. He had issues with the fans. Billy Horschel had issues with the I fans. Yeah. I, I, I think it was – I don't know if it was Spieth or Thomas. He had issues with the fans where they were where they were uh, screaming in his backswing. You had – on Saturday when you talk about the guys who were getting mipped – or not guys getting hit, you had the guys – them getting cut off. You had, I think, 30 or 40 people getting thrown out. You had people puking. They had undercover cops mipping people. You had people starting fights. I saw videos of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree that the throwing up in there and the starting fights uh, and the yelling and the backswing stuff is pro- – and obviously running on the course pro- is not – is just straight – is not okay behavior anywhere on a golf course, at a sporting event, uh, in life in general for mo- – unless you're – I don't know. But it, it's just generally probably socially unacceptable behavior no matter where you are. Uh, and I think you're always going to have those people are always going to take it too far uh, yeah. when you give them, you, you start to give them, you know, a little rain, less rain on the leash there, so to speak. Uh, I just think you can't get so mad at uh, people 
when this event is marketed as a drinking event and a the greatest party in golf and you can't sit there and i don't like it, i and i understand it's there's taking it too far running on the course like i said but in general even the yelling and the talking in the backswing if you don't if you really have a problem with it as a player don't play in that event so and i i i agree with you i'm not sitting here saying they need to make it a member or have your league or have your league market it not as the party of yeah. the of this of the tour yeah again i'm not i'm not trying to sit here and kind of cut its legs out from its floor it is i understand what it is and that's what makes it special i understand i just think that they hit a point where i think there was like you say too much freedom was given to idiots with alcohol and we were idiots with alcohol for the last five years at times we still are idiots with alcohol. we know what happens when you mix idiots and alcohol i just think that there needs to be a little bit more control from the organizers going forward i'm, I'm not i'm not sitting here saying cancel the stadium and make it like the lacc where it's members only and tickets are 50 grand to try and show up yeah. and you have 14 total spectators on the on the course I understand that's not the case and it should never be the case. I just think that I think they hit a breaking point where I think the players might start actually like saying stuff. And when you've got, yes, I think I forget Thomas or Spieth, when you have a guy like that, that's usually on the chiller side starting to get agitated, you're starting to push it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I here's what I'll attest that to, to be honest, is the, the boom in golf after COVID in general. Yeah. That I think that there's so many new golf fans that w- wouldn't have necessarily, wouldn't have necessarily, nor necessarily know enough about the PGA Tour, enough about I guess the the uh, the gentleman rules, I guess you could say, of golf. That th- it's just now been taken off the deep end um, by a lot of people that maybe not wouldn't necessarily have the same respect for the tournament uh, as before. And when you have just that many, when you add that many more people to an event like that. Just by the numbers, there's just a greater opportunity for something to go wrong, and it and it, and it did this weekend. Yeah, I, I I do like that you kind of bring in a bunch of newer players. I'm one of those. I started golfing during COVID when everything else was illegal, so I'm not going to sit here and try and pretend these are scum of the earth humans. But when you bring those newer people who might not maybe understand the the unwritten rules of golf, you and get bring in alcohol, I think you can you hit the boundaries that they hit and maybe we see some changes for the future. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting. It's a good point because I think they definitely understood that they took it too far, but it's like it's got to be the the most money-making event on the tour besides the majors at this point. Maybe I'd the probably, players. I'd probably agree with that. Um just through sheer amount of fans and everything they buy, so it's it, it is crazy. You're right. I, I would I would think the players in about a month is the only thing that can even compare at this point. Yep. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about the Pistons? I, I don't really have much more to say on the golf thing. Do we want to quickly mention the the moves that were made at the deadline? Yeah, fill me in. I'm a little. I know we got rid of uh, our my good friend Killian Hayes, but fill me in on who's new. Who who can I look forward to watching in a Pistons jersey for the rest of the yeah. year? So. Um, Honestly, the only guy you can really, if that meets that, is the the, the Italian fella out of Utah, Fontanecchio, I think is his name. Um, he's a pretty good, he's a pretty good um, kind of three and D, if you will, guy. And he's he is under, he's not necessarily under contract, but he's a restricted free agent this upcoming off season. So 
you figure that's someone the Pistons want to bring back in. I actually do like the move from the perspective of it's not a starter, it's not a superstar, but then again, at the trade deadline, when are you really going to get that kind of guy? It's a seventh man who can come in and kind of give you something you don't have, which is an NBA win. A, a lanky guy who can shoot. The Pistons don't have that. They have lanky guys. They have a Sar Thompson who's twitchy and can jump out of a building, but he can't shoot. He's missing the three part of three and D. This guy gives you a little bit. That gives you a little bit of both. He has a little bit more of that NBA prototypical wing, so that's good. And then, kind of the biggest thing was, for about four minutes, Detroit Pistons Twitter was on top of the world. You had the the first trade notification came out, and it was Alec Burks is being sent to the New York Knicks for Quentin Grimes and two second round picks. And that was cool because it was like you get a couple of seconds, which seconds they don't necessarily you're not going to draft Draymond Green. You're not going to do that with a second round pick, but you are going to use seconds as trade bait and you're going to use it as being able to take on a contract, give away a contract. It's kind of just it's money. It's like cash in baseball. Um, you had that and it was like, OK, Quentin Grimes is a decent kind of up and coming guy. You're getting rid of Burks, who's older and is never going to be here through the rebuild anyway. And you still have Bogdanovich you can trade away later for a different pick. And then four minutes later, Wojnarowski's like, yeah, and Bogdanovich is part of this deal. And it's like, well, what are we doing? Because that trade went from, yeah, to terrible because Bogdanovich last year. Now, how true is this? I don't know. But there are at least rumors that last year the Detroit Pistons passed up on two first-round picks from a contender for Bogdanovich. To turn around and trade him 12 months later for two second-round picks, that's not good usage. That's not a good return on your asset. And so they got rid of some old guys that they weren't going to keep anyway. Cool. They got some second-round picks, which are going to be future packages and trades. Cool. They got a couple of role players. Cool. But it was it, it was kind of an underwhelming trade deadline just given the return for Bogdanovich and Burks. Yeah, well, I think from what my understanding of the team is Bogdanovich is kind of your really only your true asset that you weren't going to get rid of one of the kids. You're terrible anyway, so you were going to be a seller. So I, besides besides the lackluster return for Bogdanovich, I'm not really sure what else there uh, could have been done at this trade deadline for them. Well, there was rumors of Zach Levine before Zach Levine broke his foot, and there was kind of jokes. It was like Levine heard he was rumored to the Pistons. He's got screwed. I'm gonna take a hammer to my foot. I don't want to play in Detroit. <laughs> Which that would have been so funny. I mentioned if you're if you're trading away picks and young players for not even aging superstars, just aging okay players. That's awful. And thankfully they didn't do that, but. I guess the biggest takeaway is Troy Weaver is going to be the worst general manager in American sports history, and he's going nowhere. Uh, he'll be here next year. Yay. That's because you – I'm not even going to get into it. But I don't know. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you want me to say about the Pistons? There's nothing to look forward to. No, in that at, no. Um, You've got the worst draft class ever coming up, which means they're going to give us the number one pick to appease the fans. They're going to draft some dude that nobody's ever heard of. They're going to go into next year with all these great hopes of, oh, this guy made a jump. He learned how to shoot. And they'll maybe go 30 and 52 next year. Maybe. 
Uh, number one first round pick in this draft. What? Who is supposed to be the first round pick in this draft? First overall. I no idea. I kind of mentioned I it. We'll couldn't tell on. you any college player. No, no. I I, I kind of mentioned it last year when we were previewing the kind of the the Thompsons and after Wembenyama, it was kind of just a whole lot of uh, players nobody's ever heard of, and that's kind of the continuation. There's no hyped freshman in college. There is no Wembenyama coming out of Europe. It it's it. I remember. I think I talked about this kind of a few months ago. We were looking at uh, comps for some of these players with uh, with a friend of mine. And the guy who was projected somewhere between five and eight, his NBA comparison was Contavious Caldwell Pope from a no. top 10 pick. That's how bad this draft class is. What I'm looking at has Alex Starr from France as number one. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, Reed Shepard from Kentucky, second. Zachary Rashar. Rissacher, another French player, third, Kentucky freshman, fourth. Uh, so basically the top four is either French or from Kentucky. Hey, go team. Um, Kentucky think- looks awful now, too. They lost to Gonzaga on Saturday. They might not be even in the newest top 25. I haven't checked yet. Yeah, well, go go Pistons, I guess. We'll, we'll see them. I, I'm, this, is, this will be entertaining. Uh, I'll quickly say this. If the NBA stays at 30 teams when it's time for LeBron to get a Vegas franchise when he's finally done, I think the Pistons are top of the list of teams to move. Yeah. Like, even like, well, I don't know. It's tough because there are definitely smaller markets in the NBA. Right? Oh, absolutely. But at least those smaller markets, I mean, if maybe you're the first thing you're thinking of is Oklahoma City. I at thought Sacramento. Yeah, I mean, Sacramento, they won some games this past year. Yeah. They, they've been – I mean, I'm not going to say you're pretending they've been relevant, but at least they made a, some playoffs more recently than we have. And I was thinking about it. I would assume the NBA, when it is time for Vegas, just brings Seattle back as well and sends one of the West teams east, whether it be the Grizzlies or the Hornets, whoever it might be, just send them to the Eastern Conference and go to 32 teams. But if they stay at 30 – I would assume your two biggest kind of teams to relocate are the Pistons and the Wizards. And I think the Wizards get that capital tax of this yeah. is the nation's capital, so I don't think they move. Yeah, well, if it's got to be a team from the East, then, I, I, yeah, I can't think of anybody in the East. It's really the, uh, some of the West Coast teams, like a, I think of markets and you know franchises that haven't been successful. Uh, I think of you know Sacramento, Oklahoma City, I think of Portland, the uh, Memphis. Yeah, that's not – yeah. But I mean, I, Charlotte hasn't been great and Michael Charlotte, Jordan. Yeah. I'm pretty, didn't Michael Jordan sell his stake in that team too? So, like, they no longer I don't, have I that didn't role. know that. I thought I he did, and I thought that, like, they don't really have that claim to fame anymore of, oh, my God, our owner is one of the two greatest players ever. So, maybe, they, maybe they're on the chopping block, but – Yeah. I, that's an interesting – I've never thought about that. Uh, that would get some people who listen to this very riled up because I know some people that think of Detroit as a much bigger market than it actually is. It would kind of it would be an eye-opening experience for us as Detroit fans to understand where where we're at on the pecking pole, I guess. 
you know what's really sad actually um as much as we like to kind of make like in your right detroit's not a small market if you actually talk about the pistons as a franchise there's only a couple of other franchises that actually have more titles than this so yeah. we're not it's not we're not talking about the the washington generals here that I mean, it's kind of sad that there is only a few that have more than three titles in, in NBA history because that that's not good for your franchise. But three titles is a lot for the NBA. I didn't. I didn't know there were only three franchises with more than three. No, titles. no, 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 no. There's more than three. It's. I, I just mean that the Pistons have three. I mean, oh. what Warriors, Celtics, Lakers, Bulls, Heat. I don't even know if the Heat have more than three. The Heat might just have three. San Antonio. San Antonio, yep. After that, the Knicks might, but they also might not. I, I genuinely don't know that. And that's where it's like you might have five or six teams only in the league with more titles than the Pistons, and they're about to get bumped for a Vegas team. Hmm. You think Detroit would start to throw the, the fit that Oakland is? With the A's? No. Um, I think – I don't think Detroit cares enough. And they've – they have they – why should they? You're, you're, you're getting close to an entire generation of human beings. And when I say, I guess, generation, I mean, like, life cycle of, like, actively young and actively being able to kind of go to events. They're getting close to 20 years of irrelevance. So – Yeah. What are you supposed to do? And unfortunately, only one sport gets the – pass on being bad and still getting buzz around the city and that's the nfl so and they're not even bad anymore (laughs) no they're not yeah so i'm sure if we're still doing this in four years when the pistons or someone else inevitably gets bumped for a vegas team it'll be a great discussion but for now that's all i've got on the pistons yeah time stamp this podcast guys for when the pistons get relocated you heard it here first (laughs) 2029. The Vegas Aces. Is that what they'd be? No, because isn't Aces already in the... I'm pretty sure Aces is already a name. Maybe it's the Vegas Busted Flushes. Well, Aces would be too close to A's, too. They're not changing A's for the... Well, we're talking about basketball. There's no A's there. True, true, but I'm saying, like, they wouldn't want to have... Maybe they would want names that sound similar between sports. I don't know. The Vegas Blackjacks. The Vegas Blackjacks. The Vegas Crab Tables. <laughs> oh, we've hit Ramblings. The Vegas Another. Dana Whites. The Vegas Dana Whites. Is that what you just said? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> the Connor McGregors of Las Vegas. Yep. Yep. Oh, God. We, we have to end this now because we're beyond the rambling stage we've made it to the banter stage yeah all right guys thanks for tuning into this one super bowl edition it'll be sad next week episode we'll think of some cool stuff to talk about but i say the Lions stuff we'll talk about the Lions season recap kind of go in depth of who impressed us whatever and we'll make an episode out of that talk about michigan state and we'll go from there yeah sounds good guys have a good one thank you very much go green